Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I've got a very exciting guest for you. I've got Sam Feltham, who's the founder and director of the Public Health Collaboration. So let's dive right into it. Who is Sam Feltham and what sort of journey have you been on then, Sam? Tell us all about it. That's a great question, Matthew. Um, so um, I, my kind of professional career within health and fitness <clears throat> started off uh, with the European Institute of Fitness back in 10, 2010 uh, when I qualified as a master personal trainer uh, through them. Um, I say kind of started, I mean, I, I did have a Saturday job as kind of a kids party coordinator at a sports center and things and kind of like a, a bit of a gym uh, a gym cleaner as well. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think that counts so much. But anyway, so in 2010, I qualified as a master personal trainer through the, uh, through the European Institute of Fitness, um, came back to the UK and <clears throat> um, moved in with my brother in central London. Uh, I was kind of fortunate enough to to rent his box room for like 50 quid a week so that was very helpful 50 quid a week for central London is is pretty good going <laughs> um but uh anyway uh, from there I was doing one-to-one personal training um which was which was okay it was fine um but I was kind of I really wanted to get into group fitness really and, and that kind of stems from my, my my career before that I was a I was a snowboard instructor um yeah and uh I did that for four years in the lead up to 2010 and that's kind of it's all it's all about group learning and everything um so I really wanted to get into group fitness because of that and so uh fitness boot camps were kind of at, at the height of their power at that time as well and so I decided that I'd also set up a fitness boot camp um and uh, thankfully it was it was successful and and over the preceding um few years we managed to set up 10 locations around the country um but it was in 2015 that I felt like I was in a bit of a philosophical quandary in that I really wanted to to help people but at the same time we were always going to be battling uphill um against the the current healthy eating guidelines um that keep on promoting um low, low fat fake food <laughs> essentially um which which isn't so great for your health and so um i decided that the only way that we're going to tackle this is by setting up a charity that fully focuses on trying to fix this issue um and uh at the time I was running my own podcast and YouTube channel um, and so I knew a lot of the kind of the players that are out there today um, let's say and I pitched this idea about setting up a, a UK-based charity to, to try and help improve health eating guidelines and they all said great idea but where's the money going to come from like with all of these types of ideas <laughs> and so I decided uh, that the best way to do it is online crowdfunding um, and in February 2016, um, we managed to double our target. And since March 2016, I closed down my fitness business and have been fully focusing on this ever since. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing to, to see it grow and develop into, into what it's become today um, <clears throat> with, it, with everything going on um, through our ambassadors program, um, who are kind of 
local volunteers who liaise with local NHS healthcare professionals to help them set up free lifestyle support groups. Um, and just most recently, one of our um, rather outstanding ambassadors, Lou Walker, based in, in Winchester, <clears throat> has had um, the results of her groups published in BMJ Nutrition, Prevention and Health. Um, so it's it's been incredible to see it kind of, you know, come from an initial idea to something that's become a real thing in the world and in fact actually been published in peer-reviewed uh, scientific literature now so um, it's it's really starting to, to take off and there are increasing numbers of healthcare professionals getting involved with this and um, yeah we, I think we've got an exciting but challenging future ahead of us. So would you say that you you are actually beginning to make an impact now then is it be starting to people are starting to listen people are starting to to perk up to say what is this what is this charity and, and, and how can it help us and and I think as well um, just going back to, to your roots uh, a lot of people I, I speak to and a lot of my friends as well in the past and where I come from really is personal training and, and a fitness background and really working out that perhaps everything that you do within the fitness industry within the personal training industry, a lot of it comes back to what you're doing in the kitchen as well. So it's not always what you're just doing exercise-wise. You've got to think about your nutrition to, to match alongside that. But yeah, my first point there, is, is the PHC making an impact? Yes, um, that's a great question and um, seemingly so. Um, <laughs> and quite, quite evidently um, through the fact that um, we, we've actually now hosted two conferences at the Royal College of General Practitioners um so you've somewhat got their their support and they actually have an e-learning module that's um that was developed by uh, one of our advisory board members dr david unwin um so that's definitely becoming kind of accepted by the establishment or at least somewhat accepted as a as a valid option uh, but then also um in in today's daily mail um there's a really good article about the growing army of healthcare professionals um that are actually starting to to use low carb real food advice uh for for patients particularly living with, with type 2 diabetes um and the the remarkable outcomes that they're starting to see with their patients um, and it's definitely a growing trend that um, healthcare professionals are starting to accept this. And that's just because of the, you know, the, the growing body of evidence that that's really starting to, to show, really. Um, and it kind of it all stems from the randomized controlled trials that are out there already. But then people still need to see it in the real world and even in in their own um, locale as well, you know, in their local area. Um, because you know people always kind of say well that's fine for, for for people in you know um middle class hampshire but what about north liverpool you know <laughs> what's kirby gonna do you know that sort of thing um but thankfully uh because of our ambassadors program we've got uh, ambassadors across the country from kind of you know middle class hampshire to north liverpool um where one of our most successful ambassadors andy bishop um, has done an outstanding job um, through through his groups and um, has been helping people in, in lower socioeconomic um, situations um, implement this type of lifestyle and, and reap the benefits from it. So, um, you know, wherever you are in the country and even culturally as well, we've, we've got things going on in Slough where there's, there's a high percentage of um, 
of Asian, South Asian population. So um, yeah, we, we're essentially trying to prove that wherever we put this, we can adapt it and it gets benefits, um, both in terms of uh, people's health, but also saving the NHS money at the same time. Yeah, I think it's great what you say about there is studies out there and there's the trials out there and things, but a lot of people won't go read them, won't go watch them. Somebody is more likely to watch somebody from their community go through the process or somebody they know go go through it. So it's great to have that experience and to see that happen all the way through. But is it actually a is it a lower carb approach that you're you're promoting? Is it um, extreme as in as in keto, or is it just look make simpler choices? And is it it's not the case, I presume, where um, you're trying to say, look, this is the way you've got to go this way. I guess it's more of a look, let me give you this option type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly that. Um, so if you read our um, health eating guidelines and weight loss advice report, which was the first report that we published in 2016, I think it was May, it was just a couple of months after the online crowdfunding campaign. Um, so we've got two kind of facets to this. So um, the health eating guidelines um, that we propose instead of the current eat well guide is, is the real food lifestyle. <clears throat> And the idea of that is to say that all real food lifestyles are valid as long as you're able to maintain personal good health. Um, and personal good health is defined through um, the ranges of metabolic syndrome. So if you're not living with metabolic syndrome and you're able to maintain personal good health through your real food lifestyle, because there are as many real food lifestyles as there are people, um, then that's the one that works for you, whether it be you know, like a, a, a low fat vegan lifestyle, or even a low carb, real food approach as well. Um, so all of those real food lifestyles are valid, as long as your blood work kind of, you know, comes out good, you know, those are the results, those are the results. Um, however, when we, when we get into the realms of um, helping people that are that are not maintaining personal good health, um again that's, that's we we use the the kind of generic definitions of metabolic syndrome there um just kind of as a as a first approach to define where personal good health is um if you are living with um the the symptoms of metabolic syndrome um then we recommend that the the first thing that you should try is uh, probably a lower carb uh, real food approach um, and, and that's based on the randomized controlled trial evidence, which is published on our on our website as well. Um, and that shows that um, out of the 67 randomized controls uh, controlled trials that are out there, um, it's 58 um, that are um, that are greater in weight loss for low carb um, compared to low fat. Um, and of those 58, 36 are statistically significant as well. Um, and then on the flip side, um, low fat um, has greater weight loss for seven um, of, the, of the trials, but zero of them are statistically significant. Um, so kind of if you, if you put it in, in rugby terms, it's basically 36 nil. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty substantial <laughs> loss, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's why we think that that's the that's the first approach to try. 
And in terms of our definitions, um, again, we're, we're not saying everybody would have to go keto or anything like that. Um, start off with low carb and we use kind of the, the official definitions uh, initially set up by Feynman, um, who said less than 130 grams of carbohydrates is, is technically a low carb diet. Um, and then a very low carb diet is less than 50 grams. Um, and again, there is many low carb diets as there are people and people need to kind of, you know, adapt to themselves and experiment. Um, and even kind of within that, some people will need to experiment with perhaps cutting back on dairy products. Um, some people will be okay with, with dairy and, you know, all of those bits and bobs that are in there, but kind of like the, the initial approach is, is just that lower carb uh, real food approach for for helping with weight loss and improving health as well. And then that obviously bleeds over into type two diabetes um, as well. Um, and uh, eventually we'll, we'll start properly um, approaching type one diabetes and, and low carb diets with that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we haven't officially kind of come out to, to say anything about that just yet through a report, but we're, we're working on it. Yeah, I think like, like you say, you put it quite well there that there is, um, plenty of roads to go down once you initially start going to it everybody can can find out which way they need to go for themselves but I think you hit the nail on the head there right in the middle where it's just real food you know if you start concentrating your diet to those real foods and and perhaps it's it's even educating people as to what real food is like bread is not a real food you know things like I just educate people what real foods are where they come from things that grow in the ground, you know, animal produce, certain things like that. If you start introducing more real food and you start having your whole nutrition around these real foods, then you'll generally find you're on a lower carb type of nutrition anyway, especially if you've been on a, a more processed food, um, eat, eat out kind of diet before, and you'll naturally just go lower carb. And, and then like, um, like Sam says, there's plenty of roads to shoot off from there, um, dairy intolerances and all sorts of things to to approach but what a great place to start real food yeah, so exactly. so sam tell us then about these experiments that you did they really back up everybody is talking about do calories matter is a calorie a calorie what's mm -hmm. going on and i've i've seen the experiments that maybe some people listening have seen the experiments but for people who haven't take us through it because what a great thing it was <laughs> Yeah, so this was back in 2013, um, kind of in the midst of my fitness bootcamp business, Smash the Fat. Um, and uh, all, all of my videos are still up there. So if you if you search Smash the Fat on YouTube, it'll, it'll come up and you can kind of look at all of the self-experimentation videos that I put up there, um, as well as loads of other stuff. But anyway, um, so the idea was that I wanted to find out if a calorie really is a calorie. Um, and as somebody that was that has always been naturally slim, um, I couldn't exactly do it by losing weight. And so the only way that I could do it is by doing obviously um, the opposite, which is to gain weight. And so um, I decided that I'd eat twice as much as I usually do, um, which is just shy of 6,000 calories. <clears throat> and um, I decided that I was going to do three different diets. Um, and I'd have like a for three weeks each, I'd do it. Um, and with a three month washout period in between to kind of biochemically reset. So the first diet that I tried was a low carb real food diet. So that's kind of my my own 
diet that, that, that I um, live myself. Um, but again, I was eating twice as much as I usually would. So I was really having to kind of force feed myself. Um, but uh, after the uh, loss of calories from fiber, um, also the protein thermogenic effect and any loss of calories through exercise as well. I, over those three weeks, I ended up in a 47,000 calorie surplus, um, which is fairly substantial. And, and according to the calorie formula, that should be a 6.1 kilogram weight gain that I should have had. Um, but um, the the actual results were that I, I only put on 1.3 kilograms and I actually lost three centimeters from my waist as well. Um, so that was a rather interesting observation <laughs> that's just straight off the bat. It's just like, no, it doesn't exactly play out like that. Um, and so, as I say, um, I did a three month washout period where I kind of biochemically uh, resetted. And on this second experiment, I did a low fat fake food experiment. Um, so kind of almost like a standard British diet, to be honest, in terms of, you know, special K and skim milk for breakfast. Um, and then uh, things like uh, chicken breast sandwiches for lunch um, with some 0% fat yogurt, um, also chocolate bar and some Coke and stuff like that as well. Um, and then the yeah, low fat lasagna and low fat garlic bread for dinner as well um and uh yeah it was it was fun for about three days but then like it just really went rapidly downhill uh, when I started putting on the weight um and also getting just really lethargic and my asthmatic symptoms came back and oh it was ugly but anyway um so over those three weeks um again I ended up in a 47,000 calorie surplus after the loss of fiber protein thermogenic effect and any exercise and the, the, the exercise regime that I was doing in all of these um experiments was the same so I was trying to you know control the variables as much as I could um and so in this um in this second one um again I should have put on 6.1 kilograms but uh in actual fact I ended up putting on seven one kilogram so I actually went over the calorie formula which was which is rather interesting um and on my waist I put a nine and a quarter centimeters oh, wow. on my waist as well <laughs> um which is it was just mind-blowing to actually kind of see my belly like having grown like that um and again for somebody that's that's always been naturally slim that was that was really scary actually um and uh, I I kind of did like a an experiment to be with this bit as well so I decided to take a look at kind of calorie maintenance as well and so I decided to after those 20 21 days on a low fat fake food diet I reverted back to my low carb real food diet but I tried to eat at calorie maintenance um so trying to keep the weight gain that I had gained um by you know sustaining it through intake of food um and what was really interesting is that over those three weeks eating at calorie maintenance I ended up losing 6.1 kilograms <laughs> so I, I lost almost 90 percent of the weight um despite eating at calorie maintenance um which is just incredible uh, to watch really um and kind of you know just leans in again showing that it's perhaps more about uh quality rather than quantity although you know there's a there's a place for both of those uh, but anyway so experiment three 
Um, I just three month washout period. I decided to do very low fat um, vegan. Um, now, uh, the, the recommendations are never to go below 15% fat, basically. Um, because uh, otherwise you start kind of messing with uh, the fat soluble vitamins that you need <laughs> basically um, and so uh, on that one uh, again it was vegan so just just plant foods so it was, it was porridge and water for for breakfast kind of fruit for snacks um, had uh, potatoes uh, even water chestnuts were in there I think as well and um, what else? Uh, yeah, just rice and beans and, and all that jazz. Um, and what was really interesting on this one in particular was that uh, after the loss of uh, fiber, protein thermogenic effects and exercise, I ended up in a 40,000 calorie surplus. So actually 7,000 calories less. And that was mostly due to the uh, amount of fiber that I was eating. Um, so the, the recommended daily allowance for fiber is about 30 grams, well, it is 30 grams rather. Um, but uh, during these experiments, I was eating 175 grams of fiber a day. So yeah, my wife didn't like me uh, during that time <laughs> at all. Um, and so uh, from uh, after that, I actually end up putting uh, the calorie formula rather said that I should have put on 5.2 kilograms, um, but I only put on 4.7 kilograms, uh, which is rather interesting. But on this one, I put on uh, seven and three quarters uh, centimeters on my waist as well. So my waist, you know, uh, grew a lot. Um, but what's really interesting there is just the comparisons of you know, the quality of foods um, and uh, kind of also the, the quantity, uh, but <clears throat> just the different reactions of the fact that on a low carb real food diet, I could eat absolutely tons and be fine. Um, however, that might, that's not going to be the case for somebody that's kind of uh, metabolically uh, unhealthy to begin with. So if you, if you're well, I mean, don't try this at home anyway, folks. <laughs> but uh, and then obviously with the low fat fake food that's the one that I put the most on both in weight and waist circumference uh, and then that last one I didn't put on quite as much uh, but then you know it was still more than the first one I'm kind of leaning into to the hormone hormonal theory of, um, of obesity uh, so yeah no it's, it's a fascinating experiment and kind of I hope helps demonstrate that you know when it comes to the human body, a calorie isn't necessarily a calorie. A calorie that sits in your plate, when it enters your body, it can go any which way, really. So essentially, biochemistry leads, physics follows. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I've talked about uh, bioavailability as well uh, in my podcast before, and that's what it's all about. It's about what you're actually getting from the food as well as, uh, you know, the calories are just a a term that the marketing industry perhaps made up to make you think that you're getting something you, you're not. Um, and as you proved just there, I mean, who in the right mind is going to think that 47,000 calories is going to shrink your waist? I mean, that's just <laughs> something that if you throw that out there, they'll say you're barmy. But I like the way at the end there, you just say, look, it was a N of one, your, exper your, your experiment, and, and it worked for you because 
um, perhaps beforehand you was metabolically flexible anyway you didn't have any any particular syndrome or anything in the background so that worked for you although what a great thing it is to show people how calories work with your body and and, and if anybody like you say anybody wants to go watch those videos they're still there so, so go and take a look smash smash the fat brilliant um, so so how are you now then uh, i presume you do eat a low carb nutrition now then and do they do you focus that around being low carb or do you focus it around having more nutrients in your diet having more particular animal produce in your diet having more vegetables in your diet what is the actual focus is it protein perhaps what's the actual focus of your nutrition towards yeah it's 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 all nutrition really um would be would be my focus trying to get the most bang for your buck um and getting the most bang for your buck tends to be lower carb anyway. Um, so, I mean, generally I, I, I follow a low carb real food diet. Um, but uh, yeah, no, certainly um, kind of trying to, to make it as nutrient dense um, is, is definitely one of my aims. Um, for instance, um, organ meats are, are a fairly regular um, part, part of my diet um, in order to, to get that that massive bang for your buck uh through that um and uh yeah i mean it's it's pretty easy to to kind of sneak it in as well so if you're kind of doing stews and uh even kind of like a low carb bolognese type thing um you know you can you can just blend up some some liver and kidneys and things and just put it into the sauce you know you you don't need to let your family know that, that, that it's in there uh, don't put too much because otherwise they'll they'll start to get suspicious um and it, it, that kind of sounds sinister doesn't it <laughs> uh, kind of sneak it in like yeah it's kind of like the opposite of poisoning you're trying to nourish your family <laughs> without letting them, them knowing um but yeah no uh, definitely nutrient density is is one of my my main aims absolutely um and and also at the same time kind of you know, being carb aware is also um, one, of, one of my focuses too. just trying to keep stable uh, glucose and insulin. Essentially, that's that's one of my main aims. And um, yeah, hopefully that from from my understanding of the scientific evidence that that will um, lead to uh, longevity and uh, a healthful, active life. Yeah, that's great. I've, I've talked to both uh, Dr. Ben Bickman and Dr. Tommy Wood on insulin and that they both come out of the, the same thing. You know, if you can control insulin, then that's uh, great for the rest of your life. You know, great uh, building block to start with. And, uh, and they both prioritize protein as well. And prioritizing protein, like you say, leads to nutrient dense foods and, and things like that. So I'm presuming uh, yourself, you still exercise, you still do plenty of that. So are you worried then about not getting enough carbohydrates into fuel your exercise, perhaps? Uh, not myself. Um, I mean, I, I, I do very little endurance stuff. Any, any endurance stuff that I'm doing is very low impact. It'd just be hiking, basically, um, endurance wise. Um, I, I, I mainly focus on strength and interval training um so uh yeah I, I really don't need that many much carbohydrates and, and in any case i always work out on an empty stomach um so i'm i'm pretty low low in glycogen anyway um so it doesn't doesn't really affect me so I, I, i've essentially adapted on on that front um i might have had to have had that in in the past i think uh but i've i've certainly fat adapted in terms of in terms of exercise and 
um, it's something that I don't need to worry about anymore um, I can I can understand that for for people just starting out if you kind of like go from carb loading all the time straight into a keto diet and then you try to do like a half marathon or anything you're, you're gonna fall fall flat on your face a hundred percent like there has to be kind of a a transitional period where you go kind of slowly you know it's, it's like people that, that go barefoot running like straight away and there's like there's no preparation or anything like that it's like mm-hmm. don't do that you need some preparation because otherwise you are going to damage your legs no and you're going to be having to kind of rest for like months um because you've absolutely ruined your calves or um like the balls of your feet and things like that so um yeah you absolutely need to prep for that sort of thing and transition slowly start off small and just build it up over time um and if it feels good then you know keep doing it but if not then you kind of still have to have to experiment with that stuff again everybody's different um what works for me won't won't necessarily work for you um but just make sure that you <clears throat> that you look at the results um and try and be as objective as you can when it comes to that stuff yeah and i like the way you said in the middle of there that you you aren't perhaps even touching your glycogen stores when you're working out doing the uh, gym work but i do work with and i have worked with some triathletes and some ultra marathon runners and things like that where they will be dipping into their glycogen stores um so so then for them it is i i i feel it is essential to put carbohydrates in your diet with those there is still a little bit of argument whether or not there's people like zach bitter out there who are still very very low carb um but for the general person like you like you just said everybody's different everybody's got to feel out where they are i feel that it's you should still be putting carbohydrates into your into your nutrition if you're doing chronic exercise every day depleting those glycogen stores all of the time Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I often say you still perhaps don't need as many carbohydrates as what you think, though. Yes, but exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. but again, yeah. it has to be the right sort of <clears throat> carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, right, right sort of carbohydrates, uh, ones that are kind of lower on the glycemic index as well, so you don't kind of uh, over secrete glucose and so over secreting um, insulin at the same time. And um, it's kind of like you know, looking looking at a cup. Almost. So I'm holding it up on a cup. I don't know if the video is going out. With you. Um, but anyway, so like if you look at a cup um, and so you kind of want it kind of like between a quarter full and three quarters full and kind of go between those probably is probably a safe place to be. Um, you know, you don't want to be overflowing and you, know, you don't want to be too low in the tank for that stuff. Um, so kind of keeping your glycogen stores between quarter and three quarters full is, is probably kind of a sound approach. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 like I say, a lot of people um, overdo it. Perhaps they'll they'll carb load and things like that when when they've no need to. I think the perfect time to add in carbohydrates to your diet is after an exercise because then you are replenishing whatever stores it is that you've not and that you've used, and then they're ready again for the next time when you go out. Um, sure. Well, let's talk a bit about, I presume you, you have a family. I can see the height chart behind you. I don't think that's yes. for you. <laughs> so, um, let's talk a bit about um, schools and nurseries and things. I know with your public right, health yeah. collaboration, you, you're going into hospitals and things, but 
what about nurseries and schools? I mean, my, my little boy now, we send him to nursery and um, some of the things he, he comes back, he's got like a little book. And when he comes back, they've been written in there that he's had a, a brownie at 10 o'clock and then, um, you know, all yeah. these bananas and, and then he's tuna pasta and, and all sorts of things that I'm thinking, oh, no, I wouldn't have necessarily given that to him. But how do we tackle this within our, within our schools and nurseries and things like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something that's kind of really on, on the top of my mind as, as my daughter uh, goes to school this year, in fact. Um, so I'm kind of somewhat worried about the school system um, in terms of, of nutrition. Um, it's, it's about trying to get those those health eating guidelines changed and then it will filter down into schools. Because at the moment, um, even if, you know, um, a head teacher or or just a teacher um, is you know supportive of of low carb real food or just real food at large sorry um, then um, yeah they can't necessarily kind of uh, inform the children on that because they have to teach the curriculum you know so they're somewhat uh, their hands are tied and then kind of the uh, the school meals themselves are tied in to the to the current health eating guidelines too so the quickest way that we can do it is by changing the health eating guidelines themselves um, but having said that that's not going to happen for a fair while and so you as an individual have to kind of be quite proactive with this stuff <clears throat> um, and you know that's uh the kind of the changing of the health eating guidelines is obviously what we're focusing on and hopefully that will happen in time but as I say as an in, at an individual level you have to be kind of quite proactive so with my nursery for instance my daughter's nursery <clears throat> I uh, whenever they send out the new menu uh, kind of on a quarterly basis I, I basically edit it <laughs> and say right she's allowed this not allowed that and literally kind of spell it out for them in terms of what they need to do um, for my preferences um, and they do that which is fantastic um, but that's mostly because they're private organizations and you know the customer's always right in that respect but when they go to school that's a different kettle of fish um, because they're in a government institution then and you know it's not always that the that the parents are always right um, However, they're going to have a battle on their hands, put it that way, um, when, it, when it comes to what my daughter's going to be eating. Um, and for the most part, uh, she'll likely just be taking impact lunches, to be honest, uh, made by me um, with tender love and care. So, um, yeah, you kind of, at an individual level right now, with school stuff, you have to be proactive uh, with that. And when they do learn about nutrition, I fully intend to to load my my daughter's hands with lots of scientific evidence <laughs> proving that the te what the teacher is teaching is incorrect. I'm afraid, um, and and I kind of think that's possibly where it, where it comes from. Um, the the change is that if you get the the children kind of going to their teachers with scientific references and you know print out the papers and things like that and say well what about this and it's like you know there's a black swan right in front of you you can't tell me that there isn't a black swan because there is clearly um and so trying to you know em empower our children um to take part of this process i think will be will be 
a major part of the change, hopefully. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if all the yeah. children turned up to school with all these studies and all this scientific evidence and said, look, Miss, Miss, look at this. That would just be <laughs> that would just be brilliant. But but it no, I, I think you you really touched on it there at the end, and it is about educating our children. I mean, when, when I first started this podcast, I thought, you know, absolutely brilliant. My boy is going to listen to this at some point and hopefully believe me and hopefully believe all of us that are yeah. <laughs> coming into it right. and, and just giving them the science and, and giving them the, the experiences as well. Because I already know um, that my, my little boy feels the effects of sugar. I can see it in him. Mm -hmm. You know, when he has something, mm -hmm. I can see that the massive high he has and see the come down and wants to go to sleep afterwards. So the more that they get older and the more they grow and the, the more they go up into their teen years, you can explain to them all of this, what's happening within your body and show them how it all works. And hopefully, like you say, then they can go um, onto the next person, whether it be the teacher or whoever, and show them that way. So, so that's great. Um, now, a lot of things that are out there at the moment, are you go into your, your local supermarket or local shop, wherever you go, everything's plant-based. Everything's plant this, plant that. This is this is better for you because it's plant-based, organic, plant-based, plant-based, plant-based. Tell us about this. What is going on? Right, yeah. That's a whole can of worms, isn't it? Um, uh, so uh, in, in terms of all of this, so just because it's plant-based doesn't mean that it's not ultra-processed, of, of which many of the plant-based <coughs> uh, fake meats are. You just have to turn over the packaging and look at the ingredients list it's it's absolutely nuts and you know it's not only full of refined carbohydrates but also highly processed oils as well which are equally as dangerous um so uh yeah no just because it says plant-based absolutely does not mean that it's healthy in any way shape or form um but uh the the f big food companies uh, are obviously leaning in to consumer behavior somewhat but also at the same time, they see it, it's, it's a massive profit winner for them, really, because it's it's something that's that they can sell and keep on shelves for ages. It's not like meat where it kind of has to be in and out within a week. You know, this plant based stuff can be on the shelves for months. It doesn't matter. They, they, and for them, it's a massive, massive profit um driver as well so they want this to happen uh, because it means that they can have stuff that doesn't um go off for a very long time and they can sell it hence why cereal is such a massive thing as well um they made that happen <laughs> basically and they're trying to do the same thing with all of this plant-based um fake meat stuff yeah um, yeah you, you said it right they're just trying to make yeah. the money at the end of the day they're there totally. they're, they're at the top of the table trying to make the money they're not thinking about the health of you or anybody else the, the, anybody who lives in england britain wherever america nobody is thinking about their health none of these big marketing firms are thinking we'll put this out there because that'll make people healthier no that is not what they're thinking they're thinking we can make the most money from this and I've spoken about things like plant proteins versus animal proteins before. And, and again, it comes down to money. Plant proteins are so, so cheap and they will last a lot, lot longer. That's why now even in the bodybuilding sector, you get all these plant proteins, you know, plant buy this plant protein powder. You know, it's because it's so cheap to make and they can sell it to you for the same price as, as Waze or anything, anything else like that. And they're making a lot more money from it. So just think about it like that. Think about it like they're not looking out for me. You know, and, and what you say is turn those packets around, have a look at what's in them in the back. 
because there's so many ingredients that you probably won't even recognize, you probably don't even know. Um, my rule of thumb is if it's got more than five ingredients, chuck it away, you know, put it in the bin. It's not worth it. Um, you don't need that many ingredients. So, but you touched a little bit on seed oils there and seed oils yeah. are not necessarily carbohydrates, are they? Um, they're, no, no, they're, but, but they are processed. So tell us a bit about yeah. seed oils and why they're so bad. Well, seed oils are particularly dangerous um, because they're, they're basically chemically extracted, <laughs> essentially. So it's, it's not like an olive where it's cold pressed. So obviously that's a traditional oil that is pressed out of olive oil, because when you squeeze an olive, you can see the oil literally coming out of it anyway. Um, but, you know, do that on like a factory scale, then you're going to get an absolute ton of it naturally um but when it comes to seed oils it's it's being chemically extracted so you, you can't squeeze a sunflower seed and get the get the oil out of it so it has to be chemically extracted um and so that's the major issue with this is is that you're you're consuming something that is created in a similar way to petrol basically <laughs> so um uh, in, in a way, you're you're almost uh, consuming petrol, and I wouldn't fancy putting petrol on my salad, to be honest. Uh, no. Um, so that's that's kind of like a, a, a kind of generic way way to put it. Um, and then again, it's it's because it, it lasts absolutely ages. It's really cheap to make, and you can sell it at a really good profit. Um, so there's there's so many. Um, kind of benefits for, for for big food to actually kind of push this that you know why wouldn't they do that but you as an individual kind of have to take a little bit of control there and really say right no this isn't for me and hopefully in time um, kind of you know the food companies will start to see that consumer behavior change and they will change um, but it kind of unfortunately somewhat starts with the consumer behavior um, not that you know government legislation doesn't have anything to do with it as well um, could perhaps um, you know have a little bit more help kind of through through some legislation about kind of uh advertising in particular um can can be particularly dangerous um let's say but uh yeah it's a it's a complicated subject that's for sure yeah true true yeah um, but where where is it that we go next then from here sam i mean that's great we've gave out all this information to people and and people are thinking okay these guys may be uh, making a bit a little bit of sense here so where can people turn because I know recently, and I know it's something that you're trying to change, but once I was visiting in hospital, the only thing, the only calf that you can go to in hospital serves just about everything apart from protein and fats. It is all carbohydrates, it is all processed foods. Nowhere within the hospital could you find something that we would perhaps term healthy. So where, where do we go from here? How do we start to turn yeah. people's ears? Yeah, um, that's the... Uh probably the 10 billion pound question. I mean, I say 10 billion because type two diabetes costs the NHS 10 billion quid a year. Um, and, and that's for, for a condition that only 6% of the population have, that's three and a half million people. Um, but we've got 35% of people living with pre-diabetes, which is type two diabetes in the wings. Um, and so just imagine the day that that 35% 
go into that 6%, uh, then we're in a whole heap of trouble. Um, so in terms of trying to make the changes uh, that we want to see, um, what we're doing at the Public Health Collaboration is both trying to inform those in, in influential positions, um, particularly within politics, um, because, you know, we, we've been in conversations with Public Health England and higher ups in the NHS, but, you know, they're, they're not changing anytime soon whatsoever basically because uh, I mean they were hired to keep the status quo in the first place so you know why they're not going to fulfill <laughs> fulfill that that job role that they were hired for um, but we'll try we'll keep on trying um, but anyway uh, kind of politically it is what we want to try and <clears throat> try and do um, and when it affects uh, politicians votes that's when they start to listen um, and that kind of starts by informing the people. And that's where we have our ground up campaign, um, which is the ambassadors program, which people can get involved in if they go to the PHC website. Um, and it's a volunteer program, as I mentioned before, uh, where you're a local representative of the PHC who liaises with local healthcare professionals, uh, mostly targeting NHS GP practices. Um, and what we do in collaboration with NHS GP practices is help set up these lifestyle, uh, these free lifestyle support groups uh, for people to learn this information and then hopefully pay it forward. Um, but at the same time, we're trying to nurture networks of healthcare professionals uh, within the NHS so that we raise their knowledge base in regards to all of this so that in time we're going to both change the culture of the NHS in terms of how it approaches lifestyle but also at the same time change society as well in terms of how we approach lifestyle and hopefully that will change consumer behavior and with consumer consumer behavior change it changes the big food companies and farming methods and everything like that and hopefully by the end of the day, everybody will be healthier and happier. Um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and I like the way you say that consumer behavior, you know, that goes forward into all these big companies and that if you're not buying their produce, then they won't mm -hmm. sell it. So that's a, a great thing to focus on there. And, uh, you know, what an absolute mammoth task you've got ahead of you, all you guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, you just put it out there simply, oh, all we've got to do is this, 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 that's all we've got to do. But it's an absolute mammoth task. And uh, I'll take my hat off to you. And uh, anybody listening who wants to get involved, then, yeah, get involved. And I'll urge them to go to your website. It's www.phcuk.org. Is that right? Yeah. Correct, and and yeah, e yeah. even even on there, there's there's so much information on there as well that, that you know, it's not just the ambassador program that you run. There's all that other, uh, there's the studies that you can look at and there's yep. uh, um, infographics and, and things on there mm -hmm. as well that you can look at. So people should go there. And our conference there. videos as well. I um, highly recommend people oh, great, going yeah. to check out our, yeah. our conference videos, which are, which are on our YouTube channel as well. Um, got people from all over the world that have, that have spoken at the conference so yeah yeah well that's been great sam thank you very much for talking to us is there anywhere else people can follow along with you and, and join in or? yeah well make sure that you uh, like us on facebook and follow us on twitter and you can follow me personally on twitter as well uh, that's the best place to, to kind of get me at sam felton um if you want to follow me there and kind of engage in conversations about this type of stuff um and uh, yeah keep up to date with with what we're up to at the phc and you know if you do want to get involved we're, we're always happy to hear from people that uh, are willing to put in the time and effort it requires so so please get in touch 
Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, Sam. Pleasure, Matthew. A great chat there with Sam. Now, Sam is continuing to build a great charity to get the message across about better, healthier, lower carbohydrate nutrition and lifestyle. He's taking it straight to the NHS and straight into government. So let's hope for some good change there. As he says, you can go out and check their progress at phcuk.org. And remember that if you want to make the real change to your own health and own lifestyle, come and see us at humannutritionlifestyle.com. Our four-week reset program is by far the most popular at the moment and is seeing some really good recent results for people changing their lives. I hope to bring you a podcast in the future with some really good case studies. But get involved any way you can. Make those changes yourself. Small changes have big results. If you can't do it yourself, just come and talk it through with us and spread the word as much as you can. Be happy, be healthy. I'll see you next time.